Hey everyone, welcome to this week's episode of A Cowgirl and Her Horse. I'm your host, Katrina. Before we dig into this week's episode, just have a quick favor to ask if you could go over to whatever podcast app you're listening to and subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. It really, really helps the podcast out to get out to lots of other horse enthusiasts like yourself. In addition to that, please feel free to head over to either Facebook or Instagram and give me a follow there. I post all sorts of cool horsey-related stuff there and will keep you up to date as far as episodes go and all that kind of good stuff. So with that being said, let's dig into this week's episode of the podcast. I recently read an article by Michaela J. Cox on Horse and Rider's website about the realities you must accept before you live your best horse life. Everything in that article was true. Michaela's six realities that she discussed were that not every horse will be a perfect fit, there will be good rides and bad rides, you can and should learn from everyone, horses nudge out other activities, horses are a privilege, and horses are the answers to all life's problems. Like I said, all that is true, and I wholeheartedly agree with those six realities, particularly the last one about horses being the answer to all of life's problems. If you don't have a horse or don't spend time with horses, you may not understand that that one, but trust me, it's true. If you want to read Michaela's full article, I'll put a link in the show notes for this week's episode. After reading Michaela's article, I couldn't help but think of some additional realities that you need to accept in order to live your best horse life. In this week's episode, that's what I'm going to talk about. So the first one is that it may take a long time to find a horse. Michaela talked about how not every horse will be the perfect fit. I know this all to be true. After I had grown out of my first horse, Brandy, it took a very long time to find the next horse for me. We went and tried a horse named Shorty. He was a plump little quarter horse gelding. During my test ride, he spooked and I fell off. I got back on, but it definitely shook my confidence. Regardless, we brought him home, and it wasn't long before we took him back and got our money back. He was skittish, which was the last thing I needed as a timid rider. I don't recall the order of the subsequent horses, 
there was a big bay gelding named Joe. We bought him off a trail riding outfit near the mountains. I have no idea what my parents were thinking when they bought him. I never tried him out before we brought him home. Again, he turned out to be spooky as well and was known for taking off randomly from time to time. Definitely the last thing that I needed. Then there was Sprite, a tall gray mare with a horrible mare attitude. Sprite was a bully. I was scared and she knew it. She would flip her head up as a way of trying to freak me out and it worked every time. I would immediately crawl off, completely discouraged by my situation. I don't know how many times I found myself holding the reins on the ground, crying. I was terrified at this point, and Sprite was just trying to take advantage of it. After that, we leased my riding instructor's horse, Lee, and he was a gem. As a seasoned show and 4-H horse, he made me look amazing at the local shows. We won ribbons, we rode bareback all over the place. He was the best, and my confidence soared during my time with Lee. But, of course, Lee wasn't mine, and he would eventually need to be returned. So he was only in my life for the interim while I found my own horse. Finally, after this, we found Junior, and as they say, the rest was history. I got my first horse, Brandy, at the age of 10. If I'm not mistaken, it was a year or two before I grew out of her. And I, so would, that means I didn't find her replacement, i.e., Junior, for like three years. Three years. So the point I'm trying to get across is that you shouldn't expect to find a horse that works for you after a few nights of scrolling through Facebook groups. It takes time. It takes trial and error. It also takes being super clear on what you want in a horse and never settling until you find something that matches that. Settling for anything less then that results in frustration, disappointment, and most likely a horse and rider pair that don't have much potential. Take your time and let the process unfold as it's meant to. In her article, Michaela also talked about how you will have good rides and you will have bad rides. Well, I'm here to tell you that, yes, you will have good rides and you will have bad rides, but there are also going to be times when you are going to downright resent being a horse person. If you're someone who doesn't have a horse at the moment and never has, you may not understand this. You might think, horses are wonderful. How could you ever resent having one? Trust me. It's a thing. For me, my resentment grows in the winter. Last year, for example, we had several days where the mercury, mercury plunged below minus 40. 
saying it was cold was an understatement. But as a horse owner, I had to be out in that horrible weather feeding horses and making sure that they had everything that they needed to make it through the cold snap. It meant standing outside, freezing, trying to get a frozen water to thaw out so that my horses had fresh warm water to drink, frozen fingers, frozen toes. It's miserable. During those times, I ask myself if horses are worth it. Of course, horses are definitely worth it, but that doesn't mean that I don't dread going out when it's that cold. If I was someone who was passionate about bread baking instead of horses, I could stay snuggled up next to a warm oven, consumed by the smells of fresh bread. Instead, I go outside, freeze off my appendages, and watch as my eyelids threaten to freeze together. Maybe resent and dread are too strong of words to use, but you get my point. It's not fun, but it all comes with the territory. It's a reality of being a horse owner. You have to remember that horses are kind of like having kids. They rely on you for food, water, shelter, and to ensure them that they don't kill themselves doing something stupid. And it ends up being almost a full-time job for a horse owner. But like I said, it's just a reality of having a horse. Another reality that you need to accept that I want to add to Michaela's article is that becoming a good rider does not happen overnight. It doesn't happen overnight. It doesn't even happen in a month's time. Not even within a year or a few years. And I'm not exaggerating. Becoming a quote-unquote good rider takes a long time. Clinton Anderson says that it takes wet saddle pads, long rides, and concentrated training to make a good horse. I would argue that these three components are also required to make a good rider. It's, It's deceiving. You see the great riders out there like Al Dunning, BZ Madden, or whoever else, and you think, I can do that. I I can totally do that. But the thing is, they make it look so easy for the simple fact that they've been working on their craft for, in most cases, decades, every single day. They started young in the saddle and have been working on perfecting their skills as a rider ever since. Sure, a great horse can cover up for some of your shortcomings as a rider, but at the end of the day, if you want to be successful long term in the horse industry, you need to work at it. You need to work at it every single day and you need to work at it in a smart way. And when I say work at it in a smart way, I mean that you have to make those hours in the saddle count. Walking down the road on your horse, not paying attention to the ride, won't improve your horsemanship. You need to spend time 
working on those things that you aren't good at. Maybe you aren't that great with your hands or maybe you need to work on feeling where the horse's feet are underneath you. Whatever it is, that is what you need to focus on. Part of the process of becoming a good rider can be expedited by having a mentor or a coach. Rather than toiling away at something and making mistakes, they can point out the issues and provide quick solutions. And that can definitely speed things up. That being said, you're never going to be done learning when it comes to riding. And maybe that's another reality that I could add to the list. Ask even the top people in the horse world, and there's a good chance that they will all agree that they are still learning things about horses and the craft of riding them. Part of this has to do with the fact that we are dealing with individual free-thinking animals who all have minds of their own. It's a lifelong class that you never get dismissed from. Time to settle in for an education. Again, a reality of being a horse owner. On a slightly darker note, another reality of being in the horse world is that there may be cases where whether you like it or not, you may have to quote-unquote play God. If you listened to the episode where I interviewed my mom, you would have heard about her childhood horse, Dusty. He was only in my mom's life for a couple of years when he broke his leg running out in the pasture. They had to make the gut-wrenching decision to put him down, which is the typical result when any horse breaks their leg. It's a hard decision to make, but in the case of a broken leg, you have to consider what would happen if you didn't put them down. If you decide that you want to try and save them, how are you going to get them to the vet clinic? They are now a three-legged animal who walks on four legs. How are you going to transport them in a trailer like that? And say you even get them to the clinic, what is going to what is it going to take to fix that leg? In the case of a front leg break, you have to remember that horses carry 70% of their thousand plus pounds on their front legs. They will basically be stall bound with no movement allowed for who knows how long, assuming that a surgery is successful. And even if the horse does recover, what kind of life will they have after that? What I'm getting at is that you would be making a very cruel decision to make the horse live through something like that. I had the experience of playing God last year. If you listened to my episode about Cushing's disease, you will know what I'm talking about. For those of you who didn't listen to the episode, I'll catch you up. I had a pony named Patty, and he unfortunately developed Cushing's disease, and his health declined very rapidly. 
It got to the point where he could hardly stand. His skin, he was skin and bones, and he spent most of the day dozing off. While medication may have improved his condition, it would have only been temporary. If you asked anyone who knows me, they would tell you that I absolutely adored my pony, Patty. He was super, super cute and was also a dear friend to Mike Elding Jr. The decision to put him down devastated me. I took a few days off work and spent a lot of time crying. Several nights I cried myself to sleep. To this day, when I see a pony, I get a lump in my throat. When I made the decision to put Patty down, I had the worst feeling in my stomach. As a Catholic, we have certain beliefs about playing God, and I couldn't help but almost feel like I was making a decision that wasn't mine to make. That being said, it was horrible to see Patty suffer. He had zero quality of life. I can't imagine what would have happened if I had let him live through another notoriously miserable Alberta winter. Ultimately, I feel that I made the right decision. You may or may not agree, but you know, it still doesn't make me feel good about it. And that's, as I said, one of the realities of being a horse owner. Given that I continue to be involved with horses, I am very aware of the fact that I may very well have to make a similar decision again. There's a very good chance that I will have to make that decision with Junior. I pray to God that I just find him passed away in the pasture one day, but that may not be the case. It's very, very tough, but that's just the reality of how things work in this world, unfortunately. So to bring us up a little bit, uh, the last reality that I wanted to touch on is kind of in line with Michaela's point that horses are the answers, the answers to all life's problems. I completely agree with that statement, but I want to take things a bit further and say that horses are better than any therapy you will ever receive. Again, if you listen to the episode where I interviewed my mom, you may recall that she had said that Junior did more for me than any doctor or treatment plan did when I was recovering from my eating disorder. Yes, I needed those doctors and those treatment plans, but Junior did wonders for me as well. Junior has gotten me through several incredibly hard times in my life. Part of the reason I think horses are better than therapy is because they don't talk back. I can ramble on and on to Junior, which I often do, and he just sits there and listens. As someone who is an introvert and who tends to be on the shy side, being able to word vomit like that is a rare but much needed release for me. It is extremely therapeutic to get those words out of my head 
instead of keeping them trapped inside, bouncing around in my head all day, driving me nuts. You might say, yeah, that's fine, but it's not like horses offer any solutions to help with your problems like a therapist would. I would argue that that's actually a horse's greatest asset. And that statement is not actually true. They don't need to suggest treatment plans or what have you. They don't need to suggest you keep a gratitude practice or that maybe you should take up yoga or meditation. No, horses come with those strategies already built in. Some of my most therapeutic moments come from standing in the barn with Junior. Maybe I'm talking to him. Maybe I'm not. I'm brushing his tail, trying to get all the knots out until it's smooth and straight. He smells so good. And he blows his nose every once in a while as if he empathizes with my situation. Very calming moments. Or even in the arena, when I'm working on a new skill on a horse, there is no time to be worrying about my problems. I, I don't recall who said it, but someone said that depression is a result of dwelling in the past and anxiety comes from worrying about the future. Peace comes when you are focused on the here and now. When you are on a horse, there is no room for worrying about something dumb that you said last Tuesday or worrying about what will happen next month when you have some appointment. You need to be fully present, feeling the horse underneath you and the cues that you are giving him. If you don't do that, everything falls apart. Sure, you may start worrying as soon as you get out of the saddle, but at least for a little while, you are at peace. That little bit of time can do wonders for your heart and soul. Horses are incredible creatures, but they also carry with them a lot of hard work and hard times. That being said, I would say that the benefits of having horses in your life more than outweighs any of those negatives. Obviously, that's the case, or I wouldn't be in the market for a new horse. They're wonderful, wonderful animals. And on those days where you question why you have horses in your life, just remember that God put them in your life for a reason. All right, guys, that's it for this week's episode. I hope you enjoyed the podcast and were able to gain some value out of the ramblings that I went on with this week. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. Give us a follow on Instagram and Facebook. And of course, remember, it's always a good day to ride.